You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Morning, glad you're here. If you're joining us online, we're just so glad um, that you're doing that. We, we love you. Um, you are still a part of what's going on here in a very real way. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at, at LifePoint. Um, I got a lot to cover this morning, so we're going to just jump right in, if that's all right. Um, we've been in this series <clears throat> over the past number of weeks called Authentic Fire, and it has been birthed out of this, really this prayer that we've had of, God, we want to see you move in a real way. We want to see a, a, a true and pure outpouring of your spirit. We don't want this to be conjured up by man. We don't want it slick strategies or anything like that. Uh, we believe that God gives us strategies, but we want, man, we want an authentic move and power of the Holy Spirit to move uh, upon us. And we believe that he's begun to do that, and he's going to continue to do that among us. And so we, we thought that it would be important um, this summer to help bring some clarity to th- some things, because um, sometimes things can get off. And so this series is really meant to address some of the extremes, some of the errors that can occur uh, as people of the Spirit and, and, and bring us to a people that are grounded in God's Word and got grounded in God's Spirit. And so we don't veer off into all these weird things. So the first uh, week, Pastor Drew talked about the prosperity gospel. Um, a couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, sloppy grace versus legalism. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about the prophetic. Ne- next week, Pastor Drew will be here and he'll share about uh, healing. Um, let's pray. God, would you help me this morning? Help me to convey your word in a a way that is clear, um, with authority and power in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive and hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, um, but if there was ever a time in history um, that we needed to hear the voice of God, it's now. It's now, and there's a lot at stake, and to be honest, the situations in this life, uh, the circumstances that we're facing in this world right now will seem completely hopeless if we do not know the plans, the purposes, and the voice of God in these moments. We will be completely overwhelmed. You know, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, and there's a lot of hopeless people walking around because... Hope has been in all of these other things and not Jesus. You know, maybe for some of us, the narrative of our life is is informed by the news. I want you to know if you're struggling with a lot of fear, if you're struggling with a lot of anxiety about the the things of this world, um, maybe you've noticed this about the news, but fear sells. (laughs) That's what gets to click. They're um, They're not talking about all the great things that are happening in the world. They do at the very end of a segment. They're like, oh, and by the way, this good thing happened. But fear sells. And so what are you informing your life with? What is the narrative of your life? What are the things that you're feeding in? Because God has given you a part to play in all of this. God has given you a part to play in all of this. And so we need to be, we need to be careful about the things that, the voices that we're listening to, what we're feeding into our, our own hearts. And for, for many of us, we're wrestling with the flesh. We've had this constant battle wrestling with our flesh. But we're nourishing that flesh. We continue to nurture it instead of starving that flesh so the spirit can live in us. And so that's, I mean, we need, we need to hear the voice of God. That's why our hope, when our hope is in Jesus, we are grounded. 
When our hope is in Jesus, we are grounded. That's why throughout this entire series, our aim has been that Jesus is our affection and Jesus is our example. Jesus is our affection and Jesus is our example. And once we take our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves, we take uh, our eyes off of Jesus and, about, and, and our eyes on all the amazing things that he's doing, man, things can get off quickly. You know, right now in the world, there is chaos, there is um, just insane things happening. But I want you to know the things that are not, that you won't find on the news is that there are little pockets of fires of revivals happening on the streets. There are people, there's the church rising up to say, hey, we are going to be a church of reconciliation. We are going to be peacemakers on this earth. And so those are not the things that are reported in the news, but those are the things for people who follow the voice of the Lord, who follow the Holy Spirit, that will be, that will, that will be what informs your life and causes you to build your faith, and we won't find ourselves in the, feeling hopeless. Hope will not be deferred. It'll be right here because it's Jesus so this morning, we're going to dive into the, the prophetic. And so I know, um, and some of the extremes in it, we're not going to spend a, I gotta, uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time um, maybe on the extremes or errors, but um, that word prophetic can mean a whole lot of things. I think for many people, when they hear the word prophecy, they think of like the Old Testament prophet getting up and saying, thus saith the Lord. Um, and, and that was definitely for a time in the Old Testament you know, before Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, the Holy Spirit would come upon a, a, like a, a chosen person, like a, a judge or a, uh, a priest or a king or a prophet. And the Holy Spirit would come upon that person and they would speak on God's behalf or they would do some mighty work. And then the Holy Spirit would lift because the Holy Spirit could not live inside of us because of sin. And so all the people of God, they would come to this person and say, tell us what God is saying. So throughout the Old Testament, that's what we can see. We can see people of God coming and saying, tell us what God is saying. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the finished work of Christ in us, Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us. That is great news. That is really great news, right? And so now we don't necessarily need to go to someone and say, tell us what God is saying. We say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, show me your heart. Right? And anybody who says, you need to come to me to tell you what God is saying, I'm telling you right now, run. If you ever hear me or Pastor Drew say that, you just run out of this place, right? Holy Spirit can speak to us as New Covenant believers and does and, and will. And so I also want to differentiate between uh, what I mean prophetic, those who hold the office of prophet, um, which we see in the New Testament. I, I am differentiating between those who hold the office of prophet, which is kind of a special anointing on a life, and what the prophetic means for the everyday believer. And so I'm going to be talking about what the, what the prophetic means for like the everyday believer, for you and I, right? Because I really want to demystify this for us. I think we, sometimes as believers, we, we think things are out of our reach, or we just get a little weird, and I want you to know this morning, like, we can be people of the Spirit, and we don't have to be weird. We don't have to be weird. You've heard me say that before. You're going to hear me say it a lot. We don't have to be weird. You don't have to be somebody else. Just be you. God wants to use you, right? That's good news. Thank God. Because we can't be anybody else. So uh, in, I'm going to, just in the simplest of terms, take this very broad, um, this broad term, the prophetic, and really just define it for us. So when I'm, this morning, when I'm talking about the prophetic, I'm, what I mean is it's simply being sensitive 
to what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing and being obedient to act on it. It's simply being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing and being obedient to act on it. In essence, it's delivering a message from the Lord, delivering a message from God. The prophetic is, is one of the ways that God uses to edify his people, the church. It's inspired speech. It means to speak or reveal something that would not otherwise be known. Prophetic ministry often um, speaks to potential, things that we've not yet seen, but what God is looking to take us. It's God's thoughts, his wisdom and desires and purposes, and not necessarily the current state of things. God uses it to call us out of our present condition and, into, and to step into his divine call. To say, this is where you're at, and that's all right, but let's go somewhere greater. This is where I'm calling you in, into. And when a, prophetic, when a prophetic word is given, in that moment, there's an increase of grace for whatever that issue that's being spoken of. So let's say one, some morning during worship, um, the page says, you know, I really feel like this morning God is saying that there's somebody here that's really dealing with fear of dying, like they have this fear of death. And so it's something that haunts you. It's something that you just think about a lot. And this morning, God is going to free you from that. He's going to show you that there's no fear in death, that he's actually prepared a place for you, that he's with you always. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. In that moment, if that's something someone's dealing with, there's an extra, there's an increased amount of grace for freedom in that. And that's great. That's, that's amazing. So that's why God speaks to us in the moment, because he's saying, this right, now, right now, this is what I want to be doing. This is what I want you to focus on, Right? So, again, I am differentiating between those who hold the office of prophet and the everyday believer's ability to operate in the prophetic. I want to share just a couple of ways, kind of some gifts of the Spirit that God uses when we operate in the prophetic. And really my intention in this is not, to us, not for us to get hung up on what gift God is using us in, because I think sometimes we can kind of do this mental gymnastics of being like, man, was God, was that a word of wisdom or was that a word of discernment? Man, I don't really know. And I, I don't think it matters as much that we get hung up on what gift of the Spirit is, but I feel like a lot of times people don't necessarily know that God is using them in a moment. And so I think it's important to say, man, this is what a word of wisdom is. So that it's, maybe there'd be a time where you're like, wait a second, God was using me, gave me a word of wisdom there because I am not that smart. And I cannot think of something like that. So that must have been a word of wisdom for the Lord, right? And then we also can judge the fruit of that word. So we're gonna go through a few of these this morning and we're gonna move pretty quick. Um, we have what we call lifestyle Christianity classes here and these are meant to go in depth um, in a lot of these things that we're talking about throughout these series. So we're kind of doing flyovers through all of these. This is not to be an in-depth teaching on what it is and how, how to do it, but that's why we have these amazing classes. Uh, Kyle and Nicole Barnes teaching, are teaching a class right now called Hearing the Voice of God, which is specifically about this, and they go in-depth. They'll give you more information than you ever have wanted to know or even thought you needed to know, and it's just golden. Um, and we also have a class by Randy Hansen called Healing the Sick. It's a book he's written, uh, just gold, gold. That, uh, we have more classes coming in the fall, but th that's what those are really meant to do, equip us um, the everyday believer to live this message. So some of the gifts that <clears throat> often get used 
uh, when we kind of operate in the prophetic. And again, it's not limited to just these, but uh, we only have time for these this morning. So the first is this, a word of wisdom. So we know that wisdom is a character trait. It's a discipline and a thought life. But a word of wisdom is a gift of the Spirit. It is a heavenly perspective on an earthly situation. It's the ability to kind of, God gives us the ability to kind of zoom out and have a bird's eye view of kind of this, take a, uh, of the situation. We see Jesus operating in this in John 8, when there's the, the woman who is caught in the act, act of adultery. And all the, the people are coming and they're going to stone her. And they say, Jesus, the law says to stone this woman. And they're like, we finally got him. We finally got him. That's what the law says. She was caught in adultery. So the law says to, to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus has a word of wisdom and turns the whole situation on its head. And he says, well, sure. Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. Right? And everyone's like, come on! Right? A word of wisdom turns an entire situation on its head. It's a way of thinking that is um, from the Lord that we haven't yet thought of. I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of situations in my life where I'm like, God, I need your perspective on your wisdom on this situation and not my own. A word of wisdom is especially important whenever we come to critical decisions or need solutions to a problem. There was a time where I was uh, counseling a married couple and... Um, Every time we met, the wife would just rag on her husband and just be, talk about how horrible of a person he was, how um, all these horrible things that he would do. And, and early on, as I've done marriage counseling, I've realized, you, you know, you, you don't take sides. And, uh, but I'm like, man, I, I know this guy, and he's just really not that bad of a guy, as she's saying. Um, and so maybe there's something I don't know. And... So every, every time we, we met, that's kind of what it was. And in a moment, the Lord just spoke to me, and I, I stopped her, and I said, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that life has been so hard for you. I'm so sorry that men in your life have hurt you so badly, have stolen things from you. I'm so sorry. And she just stopped and stared at me, and she just began to sob. Like those deep sobs, you know, that come from deep within you. And we just begin to minister to her. You see, this woman just needed someone to feel her pain. And it turned out her husband wasn't a, that bad of a guy. She just had a lot of unresolved hurt in her heart, in her life. And she didn't know how to deal with it. But a word of wisdom is what brought, gave grace for freedom in that moment. Next is a word of knowledge. So this is not book knowledge or scholarly knowledge, but it's insight or information given of the Spirit that would not be known otherwise. We see Jesus do this in John 1 when he sees his soon-to-be disciple, Nathaniel, walking uh, towards him down the street. He says, Nathaniel, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. And we don't know, uh, the, the story doesn't tell us what was going on under the fig tree. We don't hear um, what Nathaniel was thinking about what he was going through in that moment, but for him, that was like, oh my goodness. That, he fell to his knees and said, this is the Messiah. This is the one. When a word of knowledge is given in Scripture, the pattern we see is that it is immediately validated. It's speaking something. It's, we we kind of call it reading someone's mail, right? It's speaking something that you would not know otherwise. It's not a wild guess. It's like the Lord is speaking to you. Um, there was a time a, a guy came in, and I would, he, he just wanted a prayer. He was struggling. And, um, and I began to pray for him, and I just got this such a clear picture in my mind 
of, of, of this guy as an eight-year-old boy, and he's holding on to the, the hands of this, this man who was like a fatherly figure, so I, I, I knew it wasn't his dad. I said, well, that must be a representation of God, and he had these huge hands, and he was looking down at this little eight-year-old boy and saying, man, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pumped about you. And in my mind, I had this moment of like, that just, you know, feels a little generic, God. <laughs> like, um, because yes, God loves us, you know? And so, but out of obedience, I just said, hey man, when we were praying, I just, this is the picture I saw. I saw you walking with God and you were eight years old and you had your hand in his big hand and he was looking down at you saying, I, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pumped about you. And he said, why did you say eight years old? <laughs> And I said, well, that's just the number that the Lord gave me in that moment. He's like, well, when I was eight years old, I gave my life to Jesus. And my whole life, I've struggled with that I've been a disappointment to God. <laughs> that I'm always letting him down. <laughs> so in that moment, God gave us grace for freedom from that, right? The prophetic always leads people into freedom. Another one is the discerning of spirits. This helps us to discern whether something is from God, whether it's demonic or merely human. I think a lot of times there are things in the spirit realm that are happening from the enemy that we don't realize. There's a lot of credit that we give to the enemy that he's not really in. We're getting ourselves into a lot of trouble, right? Or we're missing out on things that God is doing. We need discernment in those moments to know what God is doing, what the enemy's up to, or what's simply our own stupidity. So we see Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. Um, in that story, he's like, he seems like he's an earnest seeker. But discernment says, no, he, he, he's a fraud. He just wants the gift of the Spirit for his own advancement. There was a time I met a woman, and the moment I shook her hand, Holy Spirit said, this woman is demon-possessed. And I want you to know that doesn't happen to me every day, so don't be afraid to shake my hand. You know, it's like, this is gonna, you are demon-possessed. Right? That doesn't happen to me all the time. So when that happens, it's like, okay, Lord, what's going on? And so I began to just pray in the Spirit under my breath as we walked back to my office. And very quickly, I realized that what the Spirit had, tr- had said was absolutely true. Uh, one, by the things that she was saying, and she said, there's a, a Spirit that's been haunting me. So in that moment, God was giving me a heads up. He's saying, hey, this is what you're walking into. So be careful. Now, now this is how to discern, right? What seems on the surface might seem one thing. This is what's actually happening. So again, that's not like, I want you to know if, if God tells you that, don't go around telling everyone they're demon-possessed, right? You won't have a lot of friends. So like I said before, uh, our Lifestyle Christianity classes really go into depth in a greater way, um, in these, so don't miss out. So what about, what about the abuses? What about the extremes? What about the error? Does error, does abuses or counterfeits, does that, does that mean that none of this is real? We just, and I would say absolutely not. None of that negates God's power. Doesn't mean anything, uh, none of that stuff isn't real, but in fact, it should push us to seek more earnestly for the real thing. 
we see abuses. Uh, humans just have a way of taking a lot, most things to the extreme. Or once we take, th- take our eyes off of Jesus and put them on ourselves or our own desires of our heart, things get off very quickly. But just because there are abuses, just because there are errors or counterfeits doesn't mean there isn't the real thing. In fact, to me, a counterfeit points to, that there, points to the fact that there is something authentic. Because you don't counterfeit something that's worthless. You know, you don't see a guy in his basement and he's like, I got a penny counterfeiter machine here. I'm just, I counter, I made a hundred counterfeit pennies today. You're like, wow, man, have fun at the dollar store, you know? Nobody does that, you know? If people are going to get into counterfeiting, they're counterfeiting like a hundred dollar bills or, 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 or Rolex watches, things like that, right? You're not, you don't counterfeit things that are worthless. So the fact that the enemy would use counterfeits to try to discount it actually points to the fact that there is the real and authentic thing. Derek Prince says this, you see, one of Satan's tactics is to discredit that which is good by its misuse. The enemy would love it if we threw the baby out with the bathwater. But if you read scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you will never find one passage that says the absence of God speaking or the absence of signs and wonders is a good thing. Or even something that we should uh, expect or contend for. But rather, it is a sign that something is missing. Something is wrong. We should seek and expect God to speak to move and to heal. There's this beautiful prayer in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and James are testifying before the religious leaders of that day. And uh, in that moment, it's a, it's a great story where the religious leaders are like, man, these guys are unlearned men. We could tell that they have been with Jesus. Wouldn't you want somebody to say that about your life? Man, he hasn't been to Bible school, but I could tell he's been with Jesus. And so then they beat them down, and then they're all, like, pumped about it. They're like, yes, we were persecuted for Jesus. This is great. It's working. It's happening. And then they go back, and they're all um, excited together. But then they pray this prayer in Acts 29, 4, 29. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Man, may God give us that prayer to speak boldly, to expect him to move, and the place where we are meeting will be shaken, would be shaken mightily. This is why we need an authentic move of God. We can't settle for a cheap imitation. Yeah, I've heard it said recently that when I pray for somebody for healing and they don't get healed, that is the evidence of what I am capable of. <laughs> but when I pray for somebody and they get healed, that is the evidence of what God is capable of. Right? So we can't settle for an inauthentic move of God. We need the real thing. And listen, people need Jesus. People need Jesus desperately. This world is crying out to know what God says. Their souls are crying out for justice. Well, God knows what justice is. He's the author of it. People are crying out to know what love is. Well, God knows what love is, and he has something to say about it. And listen, what would, what would our lives look about? How different would our, the situations in our life be or the situations in people's lives that we know? How different would they be if they knew what God was saying in it? It would turn the situations on their head so we cannot settle for anything less than authentic move of God's spirit. So let's talk about a few abuses and error, and they're pretty self-explanatory, but I, I do feel like it's important, and uh, it really takes the power away once we can name it. Uh, the first one is this. 
first extreme or abuse or error would be pride. Like I talked about a couple weeks ago, pride is an enemy of your faith. If you ask the Lord, Lord, search me, if there's any pride in my heart, root it out, root it out, root it out. It is an enemy to your faith. Listen, we have died in Christ. We are a new creation. It is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So that means I, I die to that flesh. I die to that flesh. It is not about me. D.H. Dolman says this. He says, I am only the wick. With many of us, it takes a long time to learn this lesson. But it's only when the wick is soaked in oil that it can burn. If you wish for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in order that your church should be crowded with people or flock to hear you, the Holy Spirit cannot work through you. If you begin, if people begin talking about the wick, there is something generally wrong with the burning. We are not the main attraction. It is not about me. We are not infallible. Sometimes we miss it. But God's grace is sufficient. We do not prophesy out of our own heart. We need God's heart. We don't seek to scratch itching ears, but instead we need to love a a world so much that we show them the reality of God's grace, power, and love. Listen, pride will deceive us. We start thinking more of ourselves than we ought, and we lose our dependence on him. We lose our dependence on his plans and purposes, and we begin, begin forming our own plans. It is then when things take a big turn for the worse. That's why we daily take up our cross. We keep our eyes. We keep our affection on Jesus. He is our example. We never take our eyes off of Jesus. And then we will operate in humility. And and humility is a godly characteristic. Humility is an accurate view of oneself. It's grounded in a place of love, and it looks to Jesus as the perfect example of love. But humility is also submitting to one another in love. We need fellowship. In Acts 2, it talks about that the, the, the early church, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. That word fellowship is like a, fam- a familial, a family-type intimacy and relationship. Right? And in, in family, there is accountability. In family, there is responsibility. In family, there is pr- protecting of each other. And so we, we, it is a gift that we get to submit to one another in love and humility. So pride is an enemy. Pride is an enemy. The second one is manipulation. The prophetic, and I, I can't say this emphatically enough, the prophetic is never to be used to manipulate. Never to be used to manipulate. We do not use the gifts for selfish gain or to speak on God's behalf things that he did not speak or is not speaking only for our own advancement. And we can look throughout church history, and for some people that's a reason for them not to believe that wars have been started on God's behalf that God had nothing to do with. Political careers, laws, people rising up against people in the name of God that God had nothing to do with. We never use what God is saying to assert control over people. And actually, this is the most basic form of witchcraft. And the second commandment says... 
Do not use the Lord's name in vain. That means don't use it for your own gain. Don't use it for yourself, right? So manipulation should be, we should, if we ever get a sniff of it in our midst, we should run and we should address it. We should address it and correct it. God is always leading us into greater freedom, not further bondage. So when prophetic words are given, it leads someone into freedom. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it says this, when Paul's instructing them on the gifts, he says, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and they are convicted by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. God is really among you. That is what the prophetic, it calls out the golden people. It says you were made for more than this. You were made for more than this. This is what you're experiencing now. This, your, the, your life is in your hands, and this is how great everything is going. <laughs> Give your life over to Jesus. So manipulation is not in our vocabulary as believers. So on the other side of that, though, I believe one of the errors that we can easily fall into or extremes is gullibility. One indictment against, the, against Pentecostals that we're, is that we're too gullible. And honestly, many times it's true. But I want you to know this morning, I want to give you permission. You do not have to receive every word that you're given. But we test it. We test it. This is what the word tells us to do. Because the spirit is in you, right? And we have the word, and his spirit and the word are are never going to contradict each other. They're always in perfect unity with one another. We test that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the spirit, and do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. So Paul instructs us. He says, test them. Test the words that are given to you. It's okay to do that. Test it, and hold on to what is good, and, and, and eat the meat and spit out the bones. So all prophecies should be weighed against Scripture and weighed and judged by others. That's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14. Again, this is why we need to be in community with others. This is why we also need to know Scripture. And we live in an age where people are, are, are scripturally illiterate. We need to know what God's Word says so we don't fall for, for every little thing. Again, Jesus is our affection and Jesus is our example. If we take our eyes off of him, we're susceptible to all kinds of silliness. So, but the other side of gullibility is you can fall into the extreme of, of being overly critical. That you're kind of keeping everything at arm's length and being like, ooh, there's, the other shoe's going to drop here. So the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, don't quench the spirit and don't treat prophecies with contempt. There is this place that we live that we say, hey, I don't want to lose my childlike faith. I want to have the ability to be an open-hearted before the Lord, but that doesn't mean I have, uh, that means it can go through the filter of God's spirit and the word, right? And we say, man, that doesn't make sense to me, so you know what? I'm going to put that on the shelf for a little while. I'm going to pray about that. Or if it's in, in, in contradiction to the, the word, you have the freedom to tell somebody, you know what? I don't think that is right on. <laughs> you can be gracious about it. I don't think that was for me, and it's okay to say that because we're all learning. We're always learning. But we can't fall into a critical spirit or we will um, miss out on a lot of great things. Oswald Chambers says, in the spiritual domain, criticism is love turned sour. 
If criticism becomes a habit, it will destroy the moral energy of a life and paralyze the spiritual force. Criticism is deadly in its effect because it divides a person's heart and prevents them from being a force for anything. Whenever you are in a critical temper, it is impossible to enter into communion with God. Criticism makes you hard, vindictive, and cruel, and it leaves you with the flattering unction that you are a superior person. It is impossible to develop the characteristics of a saint and maintain a critical attitude. We have this place of living in this tension of saying, God, give me a childlike faith, but also help me to walk in maturity, right? We don't have to be... We don't have to believe everything that we hear, and we also don't have to hold everything at arm's length. All right. So what is the conclusion then? I believe that we need to be people that are hunger, hungry to be used by God. Like I said earlier, God has a part for you to play in this. Every single one of us, none of us are, are on the bench. If God has given you breath in your lungs, then he wants to use you today. And the only requirement he has is a surrendered life. He's saying, just give me all of you. Just give me all of you, and there's, there's nothing I can't do with your life. So when in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul is giving explicit instructions to the Corinthian church who they were just in a mess. They were full of pride. They're all trying to outdo each other with the gifts. So Paul's giving a lot of specific instructions. And so in chapter 12, we see instruction in chapter 14. But in the middle, he, in chapter 13, he stops and he talks all about love. It's this beautiful thing. And so we're gonna, I want to read this to you because I want to I read it to you in this context. And I know I've, uh, officiated a lot of weddings where we talk about this, and so if this was at your wedding, more power to you, but it is not necessarily what we're ta- what it's talking about. So he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clang- clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen to how how powerful these these statements are. He says, if you speak in the the tongues of men or of angels but don't have love, you're like, a, like one of those pagan gongs that they, they're, they're always ringing. If you have faith that can move a mountain, if you know all the mysteries of this universe, but you don't have love, you are nothing. He's basically saying, if you, you can do all the things that Jesus did, but if you don't have his love, it, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And then he goes on to define it for us. I thank Paul for this. And I, if I were you, I've done this in my life. This is a great, a great thing to, to a devotional to go through. Go through each one of these little attributes that God gives you and really just take a week and meditate on it. Because he says love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not honor, dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. He goes on, but that's why we're, we, we, we pursue Jesus with everything. We pursue intimacy with him. We keep our eyes on, on him because we need the love of Jesus to be the overflow of our heart. And if we start, start operating in our own flesh, man, things get bad. So at the beginning of, of, of 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, he says this. So pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. These are not mutually exclusive. Pursue love and earnestly seek the spiritual gifts. Because if you pursue love and you earnestly uh, desire spiritual gifts, you will use them in the right way. And that's to reach people. That's to reach people. I wonder what your workplace would look like if the person you share or that is in the cubicle next to you, if God gave you a word of knowledge for them about something that they're facing, you're your neighbor or a family member. What would that do to their life, to your relationship? Listen, God is speaking. He's not, he's not just silent. He's not just sitting on his hands. God is speaking whether we like it or not. And I just don't want to miss out. I want to, be, I want to have an intentive ear. I want to be sensitive to what he's saying. You know, a few years ago, I was praying, and God gave me this vision. And, and when I say vision, again, I want to kind of demystify things. I was praying, and God just gave me this really clear picture that kind of played out in my mind. I saw this picture of me holding this, this flood lamp, this floodlight, and it was just super bright. If you've ever seen a floodlight, it's just, they're very bright. And I was holding it. And so everywhere that I went, it was just shining this bright light onto the place, these different places. And I walked up to this room and I opened the door to this room and it was completely dark inside. And I shined the light, there was people inside that room. And there were, there were some people in that room that when they saw the light, they had become so accustomed to the darkness that it, the light was offensive. And they turned away from it and they were like, ugh. And they, they, they ran away from the light. But then there were those that were in that room, they were, they were grasping for a door. <laughs> they were grasping for a light switch. And when, that when they saw the light, they came running towards it. And God just spoke, we said, oh, that you would hear my voice on a daily basis to know those ones that are hungry, those who the Holy Spirit has been working on their hearts. So not shortly after that, I was getting my hair cut. Um, and it was like the second time that I had been there to this lady. And so I didn't really know her very well. And we were just began talking. And as uh, we're talking, it was kind of a lull in the conversation. And she, um, Lord just told me to ask her about her dad. So I, what I did not say is, God told me to ask you about your dad. Because that, then she would be like, oh, what is happening, right? But instead, I just said, hey, so tell me about your family. What are your, you know, are your parents together? Uh, do they live close by? Are you in a relationship with your dad? She goes, well, why'd you ask about my dad? And I saw I was just wanting to get to know you better. She goes, well, this year my dad died. And he died under really like mysterious circumstances. And so it's just really, it's been eating me up all year. So I began to share my testimony with her uh, that I can relate 
You know, my mother took her own life when I was a young man. And I ran away from the Lord and got involved with drugs and alcohol, addictions until 20 years old when Jesus radically saved me, changed my life. And so she's cutting my hair and she's crying, you know, and, and I'm kind of like, let's stay focused, you know, like, <laughs> and we're like just, oh no. <laughs> um, and she starts crying and she said, you know, I'm just, I, I, I want answers. And so my boyfriend and I, we've been talking about going to a psychic and, and trying to talk to my dad. What do you think about that? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I think that would be a bad idea. I said, that's a really dangerous thing to get into. This is real demonic. But you know that God can give you peace. God wants to give you peace. And I think he even brought this moment together because he's, he's beckoning you into, into this place of peace. And so right there, I, we prayed together. And I didn't get up and start shouting. It was Nobody in, in the whole place knew that we were praying, right? And I began to pray for this woman. I never saw her again after that. Uh, it was too far of a drive to go get a haircut that far, but I never saw her again, but it's as easy as that. It's just in the moments of life, the mundane, of just being sensitive to Holy Spirit. And it's one thing to be sensitive to Holy Spirit and another to be obedient and to act on it. Because sometimes we're like, God, I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look like an idiot, but I can tell you times in my life where somebody risks being, <laughs> looking like an idiot and I benefited from it. God spoke a word that sustained me in the season that I was in. And so we die to ourselves and we say, I want to die so Christ can live in me. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Can you stand with me this morning? Pastor Drew and I were talking last night that it's hard because a lot of these messages, they really do call for a response that is, hey, let's just spend a very uh, extended time together in God's presence. But on a Sunday morning with multiple services, it's difficult to do that. Um, we do have other opportunities to come collectively. We have our midweek prayer meeting every week at noon. And uh, on the 28th of June, we're also having a worship night where you just come and just spend time together with God's, in God's presence. But I want to encourage you in your own time alone with God just to tell him, God, I want to be used. I want to be used by you. And I want you to know he's going to take you up on that. So you're going to find your life being interrupted at times. You're going to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable, and that's all right. So let's pray. Anytime there's, uh, we're in a room like this, there's most likely someone in this room that needs to get their life right with the Lord. And so I want to pray with you if that's the case. And in a moment, I'm going to ask that you raise your hand. And my intention in you raising your hand is not to make you do anything weird or call you out or embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you. And I want to know who I'm praying for. So if you're here this morning, you, you just be honest with me today. And you're like, you know what, Tony? I'm like you were all those years ago, far away from God. I'm not where I need to be. Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you have and it's just grown cold and stagnant. You need to get your life right with him today. If that's you, would you, just, would you put a hand up quick? I just want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. 
I'm going to pray for you, and I want you to say a prayer like I'm praying in your own heart. God's not looking for a magic set of words. He's looking for a surrender of your life. So right now, Jesus, I just give you all of who I am. I give you my past. I give you the right now. I give you the future. I give it all to you. I ask you to take my life. And Lord, I thank you today. I thank you for the gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus. And I just receive it now, that free gift. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come with power and might in Jesus' name. And right now, we just repent, God, of anything that's not pleasing to you in our lives. And we just turn from those things. And now we just turn to you, Jesus. We stop pursuing those things and we start pursuing you. Jesus' name. Lord, I pray today for what you've begun in these precious souls that you see it through to its completion. Lord, for the rest of us in this room, I, I pray that we would be a church that operates in the prophetic every day, everywhere that we go, that we truly would live this message. We'd be what, we'd be what a Christian actually means, which is a, a little Christ. Everywhere that we go. Lord, we give you permission to interrupt our day, God, correct our attitudes when we're out and about. We have a bad attitude. God, make us so aware of what you're doing around us and of the precious souls around us, God. Right now in a world that is just in chaos, we need to be people that bring the love of God, who operate in ways that we can communicate what you're saying and what you're doing in a moment. In Jesus' name, what would you do it? In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.